Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, a radical approach to herbalism, self-care, and the tarot. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 48 of the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. This is Karina. I'm outside my house in the high desert in California, so there's probably a little bit of wind in the background, but I'm really relishing the opportunity to be outside among the new desert wildflowers just starting to bloom and the birds and all the other animals that are doing their thing in these late capitalism times. Today I'm excited to share this conversation that I had with fellow tarot reader and witch, Sonia Estelle. Um, This conversation was so long, we talked for almost an hour and a half, so part of the interview is actually going to be on Patreon. Um, Today, Sanyu and I decided to talk about grief and the tarot. So grief is a big theme right now. It's obviously been a big theme for me personally, and it's obviously a big theme for the collective in these times. And for those that deal with systemic oppression, the working class, people who are incarcerated, undocumented folks, I think grief is something that is more common. And that's sort of the link that I see between grief and mental health and wellness and capitalism and systemic oppression. So we talk about a total of 10 cards today. We each chose five cards and the cards that I chose are going to be in a bonus episode on Patreon, which will be available to download for anyone who is pledging $5 or more. And there's a lot of content over there on Patreon. There's many videos um, that I've done over the last two years. There's a lot of blogs and vlogs and offerings. And I do a monthly full moon collective reading. And since I'm teaching the Plant Witch Mentorship course right now, we are doing monthly gatherings um, that are available for patrons of $5 or more to watch. So there's literally hours and hours of content over there. Um, so if you're looking for something to do, you can check it out. And also, you may have noticed that this episode's coming out a little early. So it's something I'm trying to do during this time is release weekly episodes. And, you know, that's a lot of work, so I want to give a shout out to my patrons. And if you can't afford it, you can still super help out by rating and reviewing on iTunes. Five stars is super appreciated. I noticed after the last episode, a few people rated and reviewed, and I just want to say thank you. Y'all are awesome. And actually, I take that back. A few people rated, but I haven't gotten any new reviews since January, so... I would love one, but, you know, do what you can. Um, moreover, I just really hope you enjoy this episode and go check out Sonia's work. Um, she's really ingenious and creative and funny story. Um, even though we have been acquainted for probably about a year on Instagram, um, we met in person last summer in Los Angeles. I went to an event um, with my friend and awesome anarchist mystic Sophie Macklin in Silver Lake in Los Angeles. And when we got there, I looked at the list of who was performing and I saw Sonia Estelle's name. And when I was about to walk up to her and introduce myself, she came up to me and was like, are you Karina Rosella? And it was really awesome because I kind of never expect anyone to recognize me in the real world. And I'm also very shy, but um, and kind of introverted. So um, that being said, I think this is a pretty potent lesson for folks that are learning tarot, that are exploring tarot archetypes. And it's really fun sometimes to just talk to another experienced tarot reader and say, like, let's talk about this theme and how it relates to tarot and see what we come up with. So 
check out Sonia Estelle's work um, if you enjoy this episode. And if you want to hear my take on the five cards that I chose and how they represent grief, go to www.patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitch. Here today with Sanyu Estelle. Hi, Sanyu. Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's good to be up this day and in this interesting world speaking to you. Definitely. Um, And for folks who aren't familiar with you and your work, do you just want to give people a little bit of info about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Um, I am Sanyu or Sanyu Estelle. Either pronunciation is fine because my parents have different accents and so they always said my name differently. Um, I am also called the word witch, the word witch. I'm an amateur etymologist and philologist, which just means that I'm interested in the history of words, particularly English in this case, and all the father languages of English. And um, I also have an amateur interest in how language influences culture. And so I do a bunch of stuff with that, but I also, my fully functioning claircognizant soothsayer, clear knowing truth teller is the easy way to say that. Um, And that's kind of where I've been occupying. I've actually played around with my titles or like what I actually want to go by, but right now it's mainly soothsayer, claircognizant. Hmm. Amazing. And yeah, your shares are really beautiful. Like you're such an amazing writer. And um, you you have been on my podcast before a lot of tarot readers have been for the tarot storytelling segment. And your story about the 10 of swords, I have to say it's one of my favorites. I mean, yeah, I love a lot of the stories people sent like, I mean, I really like a lot of them. But I feel like yours is one that I think about more frequently like I think about your interpretation of the ten of swords a lot Mm. and I refer to it a lot like I I'll sometimes quote you on it so yeah (laughs) how wonderful well I'm glad because actually making having to do that and look at the ten of swords is why I even came into that recognition so it was teamwork make the dream work there Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so um we decided and we've been like talking about this for a bit Um, to talk about grief and um, kind of like how grief is um, how we can interpret certain cards in the tarot um, and how it relates to grief, both personal and collective. Yeah. So we both chose five cards um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Do you want to talk, like, should we share, do you want to say anything about like why this is important for you? to yeah. talk like yeah yeah um so I guess I should say that if you are dealing with grief or any sort of trauma from the passing of somebody this will be probably a conversation that talks a lot about that so <laughs> if you're joining us and you don't want to listen to that right now just know that I'm going to be talking about death mm-hmm. um but basically my father passed away from stage five cancer in January on January 23rd it was um, a very swift progression from stage three to stage five because of a misdiagnosis and a missing of he had multiple kinds of issues but he also had multiple kinds of cancer but um, they missed one of the cancers and that was the aggressive one that ended up being quickly in stage five and so it was very quickly from having that knowledge to 
seeing the deterioration side effects of Western medication to dealing with the traumas of the hospital system and the hospice system, and then inevitably to his being in a coma and then dying. So I have been in the process of grieving since basically the deterioration process, because what I learned, one of the main things that I've learned is that I didn't expect to learn, I should say, is that the person, oftentimes, especially with illness, the person that you lose is not the person that you remember as the, like the overarching image, the overarching image of my father and the person that I lost were two different people um, because of the nature of memory loss and, and muscle loss and like all these things. And so I have just been trying to process this um, pretty transparently um, through my Instagram uh, and especially in my stories where I get more in conversation with people. And uh, Karina, I said that right, correctly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Karina, um, and we were just chatting in the DMs about that because the same week that my dad died, uh, Kobe Bryant died. <laughs> so mm. it was very quickly overshadowed by like, everybody's seeming feelings about that and I was already having feelings about my own situation <laughs> so we were chatting in the dms about grief and that just became a conversation about how maybe we should do something around the tarot and grief and that became this conversation yeah and you know I've said before like sending you so much love for the loss of your father and I really loved reading everything you share about him. I think you have created like so much space for, for honoring and for um, sharing the narrative of your father in a way that's really inspiring and beautiful and, and admirable. Um, and it's like, of course, like there's no way to grieve. And of course, yeah. Like with the Kobe Bryant with like, Every time there's a celebrity death, it is, and it, yeah, it's very complicated because people get really attached to these figures that, you know, they have, it, they're really more grieving, like their idea of who these people were, right? And that can yeah, be yeah. difficult when you're actually, you know, grieving someone who is a really important and beloved person in your life. Um, and like I told you, yeah, like in November, one of my best friends died in a car accident, which I've talked a lot about on my platform and on this podcast, which is you know, when someone's like young and healthy and like you just yeah. don't expect it, it's like, you know, a total shock. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I really admire your way of sharing grief. It's, it's hard. It's hard. And um, yeah, like it's, it's a different process for everyone, but it can be really frustrating when you see people glamorizing things about someone that they didn't know, or even like when my friend passed away, a lot of people who I know were not in their life anymore and people who um, maybe like didn't really spend time with them or like reach out to them or like show a lot of care for them later in their life, like suddenly made the grief about them and like how mm -hmm. sad they were. And that was really frustrating. Um, so there's so many layers to it. Right. I mean, and then in the context of what we're going through um, yeah, it can, it's, it's, it's like, it's hard, you know, and dealing with this as you are in this time when we're also dealing with all this collective grief, it's, um, yeah. Um, so thank you. Absolutely. I also wanted to say, well, I wanted to say contextually just for time and space and posterity that we are in the time of coronavirus. <laughs> Those mm -hmm. who are listening in the world and in the future who hear this and are like, what was going on? It is... Yeah. March 2020, and we are in America in the time of coronavirus. That's one. But the other thing I wanted to point out, and this might be an interesting thing to look at our cards for, is the difference in grief when you know the death is coming and when you don't. Mm. I can't wait to hear you talk about that. Yeah, because um, I had a, when my dad passed, a friend of mine who also lost their parent but very quickly from like an aneurysm one day just randomly they were like it's different it's hard but it's a different kind of pain when you don't see it coming mm -hmm. yeah. yes i'm sure 
So do you want to get into it? Like what do you want to talk about some of the cards and like why yeah. you chose them? We can go kind of like one card by at a time and kind of talk about them. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, what I would love to do is just say my five cards and then you can say your five cards so that listeners know what we're even working with and we can like and then i could go through mine so mine are um the eight of cups the five of pentacles the nine of swords the four and the five of cups i love it i'm so excited okay mine are and like i told you in email i chose a bunch of cards at random maybe 15 cards and then um narrowed it down to five and mine are the Six of Swords, the Five mm-hmm. of Swords, um, the Seven of Pentacles, the Star, and the Hermit. Yeah. I'm so excited to hear about the Seven of Pentacles. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to talk about it. <laughs> but, yes. Okay. So, on my end, I think that... Well, okay. Let me start with the Eight of Cups. Yeah. Because... So in my t- my tarot story um, is now, I guess, almost 11 or 12 year old story. But my my maturation or development in tarot came halfway through when I moved to the Netherlands and I found the herbal tarot when I was living in Utrecht, which is like a little city outside of Amsterdam, like 30 minutes outside of Amsterdam. And so the herbal tarot, every card is an is an herb. And when I got this deck, all my readings started becoming highly accurate. And that's when I realized I actually had more than a curiosity, but a talent. And so in this deck, I learn most cards. And so when I refer and when I'm like doing readings in my mind, often, no matter what deck I'm using, I'm always referencing the herbal tarot deck in my head because it's the deck that trained me. Mm-hmm. So in the herbal tarot, because I have three front of me um, that I chose the five cards from. I'm using the Herbal Tarot, the Gemstones and Crystals Tarot, and Manziel's Tarot, Manziel Bowman, the artist. So in the Herbal Tarot, Eight of Cups is Gravel Root. And it's, to me, and in the book, initially what I learned, a card about sort of being devastated, (laughs) Um, but also on the positive side of that spectrum, recognizing the devastation is is the floor. And then looking out on the horizon and thinking from this devastation, what will I do with myself? So I often think of it whenever I pull this card as either somebody sort of drifting into oblivion or coming from, coming back from that, coming back from oblivion. Mm. And so, and so I think of it as a grief card because it is the the very heavy throws and space of, and it's cups, right? Feeling like you're drowning in the grief. And when you're coming out on the positive end of that, like coming up for, for air from the grief and realizing like you were in a small space. And then when you actually open up past that let's say that encapsulated memory that that grief fixation and take in the world again it's like there's something really promising to me about the eight of cups mm-hmm. for people for people who come to that horizon and then they realize that the world there's always been more to the world than that but that they were like gone for a little bit it's like new life there's a lot of new life in this in the eight of cups for me as a card and so I've always thought about that in the Gemstones and Crystal Tarot, it's Malachite. Um, and in Manziel's Tarot, it's depicted as a gateway in the desert, like a, like a stone door with a portal in between it. And it really is a threshold, um, I think. And if you're on the bottom of the threshold for the Eight of Cups, it's... I think that, and I pulled this card for people in the, in that state, that when you're talking to them about the state and telling them that there is a surface, it doesn't really seem real. But when you get through the process of, of feeling that way and then recognizing 
that you don't enjoy feeling that way, <laughs> then you find the will in this card to sort of push yourself up to the surface. And so I like the Eight of Cups as a grief card because it's, it's, I guess in a way, funnily enough, I actually thought it was funny that I never even considered a major arcana card for this conversation. Yeah. Because there, because there are so many that are really applicable. I like when I was picking the cards out the deck, I was like, oh, clearly the Judgment is a card we could talk about, or yeah, yeah or any of these. But when I think of the Eight of Cups, I think of sort of when the hanged person, the hanged man card is depicted in water. And I think of it sort of being the process of of uprighting oneself in that situation or coming into equilibrium with whatever, whether your head is up or down, right? It's not necessarily about uprighting because I think the hanged person has a quality of being comfortable in awkward situations. But the Eight of Cups is realizing that what you thought was awkward or permanent was not. So that's what I have to say about that card. <laughs> um, any thoughts about that? Well, I just wanted to say, like, I love that you, everything you just shared about Eight of Cups. It's one of my, it's, you know, I don't know if it's one of my favorite cards, but it's one of the cards that I most relate to personally. Because mm-hmm. I feel like my life has just been like a big Eight of Cups over and over again. Because <laughs> Is this element of Eight of Cups? Yeah, like a lot of what you said, it is stepping away from your comfort zone. I really think of it as like the act of walking out of your comfort zone with like, you know, and there's a risk to that. And there is grief within that because there's change. um, But there's a promise in it, you know, like the Eight of Cups has this hope. It's like, if you can cross this mountain, as challenging as it is, like, there is new levels of personal and community-based development that you can step into. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, there's a returning element to the Eight of Cups mm-hmm. of a coming back or coming yeah. through that I really, yeah, absolutely. So then maybe this is one of my more obvious grief cards, at least it is to me in the traditional way it's depicted, but the Five of Pentacles mm-hmm. um, or coins. In the Herbal Tarot, it is Mugwort. Um, and... I, the traditional depiction of the five of pentacles as with, as a beggar outside of church or some sort of sanctum. Um, so usually when I pull this card for people these days, especially, um, I, I de-religify it, but I do keep it in the conversation of, of sanctimoniousness because whether it's a church or a temple or a mosque or whatever, it is a place of of divine designation if not worship right mm-hmm. and and the individual outside is often not even looking at the building but like has their back to it or is side by side to it their eyes are not focused on the building but they're clearly close to the building for what it holds um and so there's a warmth in the five of pentacles that I think feels f- further away from the individual in the throes of the five of pentacles than it is. And that's depicted to me by the way that this person is outside their own building, their own per- perception of, of what is sacred. The, the building represents what is sacred. It represents what is revered, what is uplifted what is holy and also what is supposed to be ultimately some sort of um sanctuary um and the individual outside of the sanctuary it is divorced from the experience of that Mm. and so i find the five of pentacles to be a card of recognizing what one feels and or is without um from that place so this is not a card to me that when i pull it necessarily has the hope of the eight of cups it's usually a card that when i pull it for somebody i begin to ask them self-worth questions and i begin to ask them questions about what they revere and whose opinion and what embodiment of life do they have put on a pedestal or keep in their place of holiness or sanctum Mm -hmm. and 
and when they, we go through that conversation, then I bring in the part of the conversation about whether they actually feel connected to that or a part of that or or allowed to partake in that idea or whether it's something that they use as a sort of like carrot stick motivation where it's like or even a self-fulfilling prophecy motivation where it's like Eeyore (laughs) actually I talk a lot about Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh (laughs) with the five of pentacles because and with the and honestly with the four and five of cups too because Eeyore is always lamenting Mm. about not being cared for to his friends (laughs) who who continuously show up to him but he's like nobody likes me nobody cares to the people who like him and who care yeah and and yeah he doesn't see he doesn't see what's there maybe that's why I think of the five of pentacles as Eeyore because he doesn't see what's there and and the holiness of the building or at least the function of holiness is not operational in the five of pentacles to me. It's not being exercised. It's still divorced from the idea of the individual in this card. And, and I think sometimes when we lose somebody or I mean, whatever that, even that, that language (laughs) that you lose somebody, you don't lose them. They just, stop existing in a way that you were accustomed to but something I can say certainly and oh this is like really interesting that spirits bringing this in but like the body right we're talking pentacles so if we're talking the environment then the body is the environment of our perspective right we wake up in it we die from it we're in it every day in all the dimensions of ourself spiritual intellectual sexual whatever emotional so between my dad getting sick, losing mobility, then being in a coma, then, you know, taking off all the life support things and eventually just like literally letting somebody die, watching them die, letting them die, however long that process takes, because it does not necessarily go quickly like in a movie or anything. But through that whole process, I really came to recognize how little of my dad was actually his body and how much of what I associated with him was the animation of that body. And the animation of that body was done by his personality, by his spirit, whatever, you know, Um, and not by the limbs or the physical body itself. So that experience was a very five of pentacles experience because I realized I was, let's say I was fixated on the building, the body Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the more important thing about it was what it represented to me. And that's something sometimes you only learn in retrospect. In my case, I only learned that in retrospect Um, because, and we all appreciated my dad and he was around and my parents were married and there's all these stories about it was like a perfectly great family but my dad was not someone who was very able to emotionally communicate to his kids where he was at so the loss of him is very much the recognition of how vulnerable people really are in themselves (laughs) um no matter how old they are or how they act actually Mm. so I don't know why spirit took me on that tangent but I will say that the five of pentacles is very much about recognizing what is sacred and then also recognizing whether you feel outside of that and I think usually it can represent feeling outside of what is sacred. So I definitely think of that as grief because you, especially from death, because you're alive, (laughs) um, but you're not focused on that necessarily. (laughs) You're focused on the fact that someone has moved on and that you're not with them or they're not with you. So 
that's my five of pentacles talk. What do you make of that? Amazing. Um, that's such, yeah. Five of pentacles is such a potent card for recognizing. Yes. Like you were talking about Eeyore, like our perception of self are, you know, I think of five, of when we look at the fact that five of pentacles, like what's before that it's four of pentacles, which is scarcity mentality, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like four of pentacles is like, that's the one that I drew in the collective reading last, you know, last week. And it's like, if we're in scarcity mentality, all that leaves, you know, like that leads us to isolation. Um, and that's something that I could talk about for a really long time, but I won't, but I like love your interpretation. I love the idea of like the body representing like a church or an institution of, of like, you know, collective support, hopefully. And, um, yeah, like the way that, you know, grief is when the body no longer encases the soul or like death, not grief. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. 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 The four of pentacles. I hadn't thought about that. I'm still very much learning about that card. So hearing that description was interesting, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Yes. And so in the herbal tarot, again, the five of pentacles is mugwort in the crystals and gemstones. It is citrine appropriately mm-hmm. um and in Manzel's tarot it's a man between two pyramids and there are like five coins elevated in the air attacked attached to like an electric cord um I'll send pictures of these to you so that people can actually look at them if they want to <laughs> yeah uh, I used to work with the herbal tarot and I stopped because um you know my friend and past uh podcast guest Marissa de la Pena does a lot of work with um cultural appropriation. And I recognized that there was some imagery in the herbal tarot that I didn't want to continue to work with. And I also like don't, some of their herbal, um, you know, for myself as a plant, which some of their herbal associations, I don't really agree with. Like, I don't think they're the best. Like I wouldn't necessarily for me associate associate mugwort with five of pentacles. Yeah. I totally understand (laughs) what you mean. Also. Yeah. Totally about the appropriation. It's funny because there's a lot of decks that I've just realized over time. I I was using this Oracle deck I really enjoyed for a really long time called the Gaia Matrix Oracle. And I it took me years to realize this. But after some time, I realized that they had like color representations of all the races. But black people, they were like the white people, the yellow people, the red people, and then the blue people. And I was like, wait. <laughs> I was like, what? Why are we like, why isn't there a black representation? Why are they just yeah. blue people? And that definitely put a bad taste in my mouth and I stopped using the deck. But yeah, no, you're totally right about the herbal tarot. And I also functionally don't use it anymore because once I actually learned from it, it retired from use from me. But I like it as a reference. But it's good to know because I'm not an herbalist. So it's interesting to hear from that, from your perspective, what you're like, these plants are. Are yeah, and you know, it was designed by Michael Tierra, who is a herbalist. So I know that there, you know, I just, I think we all just have our own interpretations. And for me, yeah, I would say I mugwort would not and like gravel root. Yeah. But anyway, that's just an aside. Yes, no worries. Um, it's just, it's I, I, yeah. It's good information for you, audience, in case you're thinking about getting these decks. So next I have the nine of of uh, the nine of swords, not pentacles. Nine of pentacles is a good card in my opinion. Um yeah. yes, nine of swords. So nine of swords, um well one, I think th- th- I'm actually kind of surprised I only have one swords because I think for a lot of people, swords is sort of a grief suit. Mm-hmm. Um, if not individual cards, but the suit itself is often, um, you know, challenging because I think of swords as representing of the intellect and air, but also intellectualizing emotions. I think of it as the battle with the negative ego because the neutral ego is just, I am here, there, <laughs> I am, right? That's neutral ego. And then negative ego is because I am thus then this person or that is this. Um, and so I, when I talk to people about the swords, I often speak about how it's the process of falling on your own sword in the sense of who you knew yourself to be in order to become more of who you are. Um, and so to me, it's very much a suit of, of regeneration and of death 
um, the death, the ego death experience, essentially. And the nine of swords is one of the cards that whenever it comes up, comes up with clients, I go lamentations, lamentations, mm. um, because it's definitely a card about being in the throes of grief. But it's also I mean, it's a nine. So it's also uh, an active card. And I unlike the five of pentacles which is sort of like wallowing in despair i think of the nine of pentacles as like exercising the despair and so it's a more messy visceral tangible not i shouldn't say tangible but like per- perceivable type of grief it's like the difference between someone laying in bed all day and someone crying all day <laughs> um and both are forms of grief, but one is is thrown. You throw more of yourself into it. Um, let me say, you throw more of, of the version of the dimensions of yourself into it. Your mind, your body, you know, all those things are actually being exercised. So I think of it as the probably like the anger stage of grief. Um, mm. It's that yeah, I think of it as the anger and and in some ways the denial stage too. Um, because there is a time for grieving and that time is not forever. <laughs> so I think that the Nine of Swords is good as an as an exercise to to extract from yourself the negative emotions. But it's not a, a it's not a place to live. It's not a comfortable card to consistently coexist with, because it's there's always something wrong here with this card. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. a, or, there's always something perceived to be wrong, and there's a perception of loss and of being taken from. I think, um, which is why it does have to do with the negative ego, because there's this idea that you can be incomplete from yourself or as a, as an experience or as a person or as an existence that something could be taken from you in such a way that the life is not complete. Um, And so there's like a tantrum element to the nine of swords. It can get uh, tyrannical. It can, it can speak to people who, who are emotionally abusive um, and it can also speak to individuals who lose cognizance of themselves in moments of extreme emotionality, like people who will yell and then come back down and not remember a thing they said. Mm. And so there's a checking outness of the Nine of Swords that is somewhere between anger and denial. It's like not admitting you're angry but being angry <laughs> so it's a frustrating card but it makes me it, it makes me think of people who are not taking ownership of being upset and so it's something done to them or out of their control or that th- you did or that ha- may was made to happen but it's not something that they went along for the ride of willingly so that's why for the people who like lose their shit and forget, that's why they can forget because they're not owning it. And those are the kind of people who be like, well, I, you made me. Nah, brah. Mm. Nah, I didn't. You got yourself there. I might have helped, but you took the steps. So it's a difficult card. It can also be that really deep wallowing anger that feels more like Like um, the word that's coming to me is like rejection, but that's not what I mean. Like it's denial, but denial like I'm not allowed to be a part of that or I'm not allowed to have that or I'm not allowed to have that experience. Um, So being denied by existence is a quality of this card. So it's not always necessarily like hot blooded anger. It can also be. There, I mean, there are Eeyore qualities here, too, but it's more of, like, if Eeyore had 
psychotic or angry breaks where he would be yelling at people and then going back to that state where he doesn't believe anybody likes him or anybody cares. So there's a little bit of uh, messiness to the Nine of Swords that is not, it's not a very clean energy and there's often a lot of energy expelled and a lot of loss of tracking of that energy is what comes through. It's like a there's something very um, primal about this card to me. Mm-hmm. I love everything that you just shared. And it's, it is interesting when you talk about that idea of like, yeah, the victim that victimizes other people. Like, because what you're talking about when you talk about Eeyore going into a rage and yelling at someone and then like saying that it's that person's fault that they got yelled at. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about there is like a cycle of abuse. Yeah. And that those can exist in a nine of pentacles. And it's also kind of like what I said about the five of, uh, pe- or not, why did I say pentacles? Swords. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like what you were talking about when we were talking about the five of pentacles. It's also like you look at what comes before. So, like, a lot of times if the nine of pentacles or <laughs> the nine <laughs> of swords shows up, a lot of times when the nine of swords shows up, what I'll say to people is, like, at least you know. And I mm-hmm. love how you just referred to like the anger in the stages of grief as well. Like there's so much that what you just said, it's sort of like there's a meme going on. I just reposted it and it's, I don't even know who originally said it. It's so potent. It says, um, um, I, when I sat with my grief or when I sat with my anger and asked her her name, she told me it was grief. Um, it's mm-hmm. something like that, you know? And that's like the idea that a lot of times anger is not, Anger is an emotion that our egos create in order to protect us from feelings of sadness and grief. Yeah. Um, or rejection or isolation, you know, like that Eeyore, like nobody mm. likes me anyway. So there <laughs> is like an element. And I think that's more the, I think of the three of swords as like the ultimate. Eeyore. Yeah. No one likes me. Like everything's not, everything's crappy in my life. Like that kind of feeling. But the nine of swords to me is like, okay, well, you know, you know, it, the anger in the grief is about the fact that you finally have reconciled the fact that you've had you've suffered this loss, that this thing has changed. And the anger comes as like this ego defense to protect us. Um, but at least we're not in denial like the eight of swords anymore. You know, the eight of swords, yeah. you don't know what's harming you. So how can you make a change when you don't even see it? Yep. Which is so I love that you mentioned that because of you were saying the eight of cups follows you around the eight of swords has definitely been a shadow card of mine for a long time. Mm. And it's like the kind of card that if I'm out or like, for instance, I was at burning man and I looked down and like, I found that card. (laughs) So it, it finds me, it has found me wherever I've been in a lot of cases, but the more I've stepped into this kind of work, the less that card follows me around. Because my my work was to step more into the unknown with the knowledge that I was doing so, as opposed to being like, oh, my God, like, what is this? Which (laughs) was Mm -hmm. a lot of my early life. But, yeah, the Eight of Swords is definitely more of denial than the Nine of Swords. The Nine of Swords is actually going through the motions. But there's vacillation in there and it's air and swords. And so that makes sense, too, because it's volatile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's. You know, I think like the fact that you're saying right now, the eight of swords follows me. Um, I think the eight of swords follows most people, but they don't know it. So the fact that you know it, you've got some guides being like, hey, be aware of this inside of yourself, be aware of it and break out of it. So it's almost like you're probably affected by it. If you see the eight of swords, then you are less affected by it, if that makes sense, I think. Yeah. If you see it, then it continues to just hurt you and you don't even know why. Yeah, it's like a tricky mirror, like inverted mirror type of card. Mm -hmm. It's definitely like that. So last but not least, we have the the cups. We go back to the cups. We started with the cups. Um, I might just vacillate between talking about these two because I think that they are closely related. Um, I choose the four of cups because it's a card about... I wasn't going to say this, but it just came to me. It's a card about being unfaithful. Hmm. And and usually when you say that, people are like, oh, marriage and shit. No, it's like <laughs> it's a it's 
I, I chose unfaithful because it's heavier, but I could also say of not having faith. Um, but I think of it, well, one, it's our emotional intelligence, which I think of as cups, water, emotional intelligence, creativity, procreativity, one-on-one relationships is how I think of it. And um, particularly with the emotional intelligence, the four of cups is a is a, like a paradoxical card to me. And so I actually really like the way that it's depicted in Manziel's tarot. It's just four cups as if it was like a playing card. So four cups in the four corners, but in the middle is the palm and there's an eye in the palm. And and I know in the traditional tarot, it's like a cup is being pl- like these cups are coming from heaven or from some spiritual place and the person's not even paying attention. Um, and so I think it's a paradoxical card because I was saying this in a live the other day, uh, but you use existence to not trust existence. Right. And like when you distrust, you 100 percent trust distrust. <laughs> so there's this paradoxical quality to to anything negative that you're using the positivity of your free will or the at least the neutrality of your free will to then reflect upon it negatively. And what's paradoxical about this is simply that, you know, if existence was a negative place, you wouldn't have the option <laughs> of choosing. Yeah. Because because negativity is extracting and it takes things. It does not give you more options. It gives you less options. Um, and so the quality of existence is so neutral and so inclusive and so non judgmental that you can use existence to hate it, to not trust it, to loathe it. To do, you can use it to do whatever you want with it, and you can use all the elements that it gives you to then resent it or not even recognize it. <laughs> you can use existence to ignore existence. Mm-hmm. So there's this quality to the Four of Cups about being in this this paradoxical state, and I've been calling this state, especially since I've been in the grieving process, I call it the state of unequilibrium or the vortex of unequilibrium. It's like when you're between two belief systems and so you don't really know what's true anymore because you're realizing that what is true to you is simply defined by your preference and you don't know your preference in the vortex of unequilibrium because you're between belief systems. So there comes this profound moment of like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? And who do I trust and who am I anyway? And like, there's all these questions that come about, like, how do you even rely upon your consciousness to know stuff when everything you're picking up as you go along? (laughs) So I think for the Four of Cups, it's an invitation to a more complex way of being where you're actually seeing more of the dimensions of what's going on. But it's from the uh, it's from the before you make that that recognition usually. Um, And so I think of the Four of Cups as sort of this recognition or need for recognition of how free will is yours and what you do with it. Because Mm -hmm. there's, there is a lot of bounty in this card that is going unrecognized. And I think that is free will. Like I was said, I was the word witch. So etymologically speaking, free will goes back to, most English goes back to Proto-Indo-European. Proto-Indo-European is just whatever dialects and languages first developed over the Eurasian continent or whatever it might have looked like in those more prehistoric days. And so it's just like the first phonetic sounds that connected and became words that became written. And so free goes back to a Proto-Indo-European word that means to love. And will, like the name and like the, the, the word, goes back to a Proto-Indo-European word that means to choose. So free will means to love to choose. And mm-hmm. what's so fascinating about that is that it's not to love all the choices you've made 
And it's not to love all the choices that are presented to you. And it's not to love only the choices you love to choose, but it's just to love to choose, to know that you can choose, to know that you are choosing. And that, that, that in and of itself is the free will. Because if you didn't have free will, you wouldn't know. That's the point. <laughs> so the Four of Cups is that threshold. And, and there's an opening up that is really close in this card. It's like the memes when they're like, they're so close, almost got it. Like the one that was like, what's the meme where somebody is like, well, if such and such is sexual harassment, then everybody, I've, all the men I've talked to have sexually harassed me. And they're like, you're so close to getting it, but you're not getting it. <laughs> um, and so the Four of Cups is there. And it's like, it's, I guess, you know, Four is, I think of as the structure of the quote unquote reality. So four is a number of society, it's a number of construct, it's a number of formation. And, but it's also an invitation to like a fifth dimension. And, and when five comes in, I think of that as a fertile number of creativity and of birth. And so the four of cups is almost when you're in that, dead space like let's say in like old kung fu movies or martial arts movies where there's like the master and the student it's like when the student is in that dead space where they feel like they're at the end of what they can do and the master kicks their ass into something else and they find and they break through that threshold so it's an invitation card from your higher self a higher place to be more aware of what's going on, but it's not, it's be like you, but the free will is evident in the four of cups. So you have to choose to cross that threshold. And that's the tricky part of it that I think grief can get you caught up in because you can e very easily in the four of cups, ignore what control you do have or what you are doing. Um, any thoughts about that? Um, so that's awesome. Yeah, that I feel like that was the card when you when you said which cards you wanted to talk about in terms of grief. That was the one that I was the most like, hmm, I wonder what Sanyu is going to say about this, because I'm not sure how I feel about grief with this card. I know um, I know like so about a year ago, it was on the spring equinox. Actually, I did a panel in the desert with Olivia Pepper Mary Evans and um, Jonah Emerson Bell, some other amazing tarot readers. And they were talking a lot about the Four of Cups. And it just came to me. And um, I think Mary um, or Jonah defined it as the FOMO card, like the fear of missing <laughs> out. And I thought that was really funny because I had never thought of it that way either. Um, so I think, yeah, I think again, like when we think about the Four of Cups coming before the Five of Cups and like the Five of Cups being... So, which you're going to talk about that one too, right? Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. So it's like the five of cups is such like a quintessential grief card. It's so like the five of cups, I think is actually my favorite tarot card. Like since when I first started working with the tarot 11 years ago, it has always been something that I resonated with because yeah, in the world that we live in, it's yeah, actually I'm going to let you, cause I was about to dive into the five of cups. So yeah. Why don't you start talking about the five of cups? Absolutely. Well, what I like about that too, is I, I, I agree because from the four of cups, it's like, you're on that threshold of recognizing more. The five of cups is when you actually kick through that threshold, but because we live on earth and because human, the human species is like a negating nihilistic, negative limiting species mm -hmm. what the as soon as you cross the threshold you don't think oh god like i crossed the threshold and i'm aware of so much more you immediately start counting your losses mm. and that's the five of cups oh i have all this awareness and now i'm aware of how much i missed out on yeah. or how much i didn't do the thing i should have done or how i didn't get that thing on time or how i didn't get back to that person or appreciate them in real time and now i don't have them anymore so like the five of cups is absolutely counting your losses 
Um, it's another card that whenever it comes up, I say lamentations, lamentations. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a fixation on and a preoccupation with loss, um, which you only have the awareness of because of growth. Like, you would not be aware of loss. Like, for instance, because it's very easy and we're in cups anyway to talk about this in the romantic relationship sense. When a relationship is on its way out, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. you feel it. You are living the reality of something breaking apart. And in that process, you're not thinking of it, though, as lost because you're in the survival mode where you're doing a lot of people are doing everything in their power to try and maintain the relationship, right? Bending over backwards, contorting, telling the truth, lying, withholding, not withholding. <laughs> They're doing everything they can in a, in an effort to sort of see if it can be safe, saved. And when you're in the process of trying to save something, you're not appreciating, one, it being there or the process of it going away. You're You're caught up in the activity of thinking that you're maintaining something. And so once that breaks, which it inevitably does, after the fact, that's when you start thinking about all the reasons you ended up on the other side of the relationship, not together. Then you start having the time to actually reflect on how you ended up breaking up, all the things that didn't work all the times you didn't feel heard, all the times you didn't say what there was for you to say. And that is where I think we are with the Five of Cups, where we're in review. Mm -hmm. We are actually, with our greater level of awareness that comes in the aftermath, we begin to pick up the pieces. And obviously we pick up the broken pieces first because they look more dangerous to the environment. So we pick them up first. And in the picking up of those, we're thinking about every memory that created those shards. And a lot of people re-wound themselves in the process of the Five of Cups. And that can be purposeful. You know, it could be like opening a wound with pus and letting things out. Or it could be opening a healed wound and going through something over and over again, depending on whether you take the sort of motivation in the five of cups to move through the process of your losses so that you can get to the things that you gained or whether you get stuck in the process of counting your losses or whether you feel you have so many losses that you'll never stop counting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There is this feeling of mindset that comes up with the five of cups. I think it is about perception And um, it goes back to that Eeyore thing you were talking about where it's like, you know, for me, yeah, like I always really resonated with that card because I thought it was a reminder for me to remember what is not lost, to like remember what still stands. Um, It's important to grieve what is lost, but not to obsess or get into like a rumination cycle or Mm -hmm. a lamentation cycle, like you say. Um, with that, because if you look on like the Smith Rider weight, and I can't really remember the thing that I like about the herbal tarot, um, because it is a beautiful deck is how much it's kind of like a new interpretation of the Smith Rider weight, like, it's, yeah, like, it pulls from that. And one thing that I really like to point out to people with that card is if you look like the person's like grieving, they're looking at the ground, but then ahead of them is a bridge going over um, the the river. So like the bridge kind of symbolizes like, the way to go move through these emotions, mm-hmm. you know, to get to get to the other side of the emotions. And then there's a castle, you know, which is abundance that can be the 10 of cups. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, it's, yeah. Five of cups is really uh, necessary to talk about when we're thinking about, you know, what we lost and our perceptions around it. Yeah. And actually while you were talking, I'm looking at Manzel's tarot and it's great. Cause it's like a, what are these called? Doberman it's like a Doberman pincher looking down at the chalices and three of them are spilt and I really like this this image of a dog because it's like the five of cups is very much about counting your losses but it's like what are they for though you know like what is a dog gonna do with chalices like Mm -hmm. you you're protecting all these things that you have no use for 
or that you're not utilizing. They're just there to remember that you have them. But if you don't go through them and see what they can teach you or what you can gain for that from them, then you're it's like you're a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a hoarder card. It's like an emotional hoarder card. And like they just want to have stuff. So they'll keep whatever stuff they have. But it's like, but what is it? What do you use it for? Like, what is the point of having stuff you don't use? And yeah. there, there's that challenge in the Five of Cups to sort of get over yourself <laughs> mm. and walk over the bridge. Yeah, that's true. That's true because you don't want to be like, that's the challenge in the Five of Cups. Like, you don't want to tell that grieving person, okay, okay, enough of this. Move on. Let's get over the bridge. Go to the castle. It's right there. Like, you don't want to, like, force <laughs> someone through their grief in that way. But it is, like, remember that this is a process. Like, don't get too stuck. If you get too stuck in the details, then we end up in Nine of Swords land, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Get, like, up into the details and we don't look at the process as a whole. Yeah. So those are my five. Yay. Yay. To listen to the rest of this episode, you can go to www.patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitch. listening to the rise up good witch podcast if you enjoyed the show please rate and review in itunes and check out www.riseupgoodwitch.com for more information about tarot readings and the apothecary